Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. talk everything agribusiness. For this week, we dive into the world of agribusiness recruitment from entry-level roles, manager and C-suite roles within agriculture. It's not just picking berries or mustering sheep anymore. Agriculture is the most diverse industry, I believe, and it's represented by many different sectors that play a huge part in our economy here in Australia. Whether you're in an office, a paddock, there is every type of career imaginable in agriculture. So we got the experts in as Ryan Hoytberg from Rimfire Resources joins me. Hopefully I pronounced that right and tells you all about agribusiness recruitment and the internal workings of it and a few trends of what's happened in 2020 to 2021. If you know someone looking for a role within Aussie agriculture, make sure you share this podcast with them to help them out. Some great tips for individuals and companies within this episode. So let's get on with it and see what we can come up with. Welcome back to the Farm Spice Podcast. I think this is episode 50, Ryan. So welcome to episode 50, half a century, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. And well done on raising the bat. Absolutely. Raise the bat and good to have you on. First recruitment like within agribusiness industry pretty vital link to connecting people into jobs at the moment talk us through like the last year and a bit how's that been the COVID how have you dealt with it probably been run off your feet yeah well it's so I'm Melbourne based um so literally probably the opposite of being run off my feet I've been sitting in my desk chair for the entire time so normally we would travel a fair bit and with our role we 
you know, go out regionally and we visit a, a number of clients and do a lot of face-to-face. But um, I, my job is meeting people and I haven't met anyone for a year. Um, we've, we've sort of uh, obviously virtually done a lot. But um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a quite an interesting sort of 18 months to two years, I'd almost say, with COVID obviously being a big one. But even from an 18 months from a production and an industry perspective of the changes that have occurred and then you know, the uptick that sort of happened and seeing the counterproductiveness of everybody else sort of shutting down, whereas we've ramped up a lot of our recruitment and, and been it's been a very interesting sort of 12 months from a, you know, systems and a business adaption, but also then people getting new roles from processes you've just had to sort of pick up and fly with versus, uh, you know, now it's probably the most active job market we've seen in 23 years. So it's, um, it's yeah, it's, it's been, a, been a wild ride. That's nuts. How do you calculate the most active? Yeah, good question. Um, so, so there's two sort of twofold on that. So, Seek will release their general tools on um, your numbers. So, Seek will have an, a normal monthly sort of account where, if you're an advertiser, they'll be able to give you a broader understanding of what the market's yeah. doing from a where the jobs are geographically. Uh, Rimfire. So, I work for Rimfire recruitment agency, specifically in the agribusiness sector. But we have a number of tools which we use for our clients to be able to understand when they are going to recruit, what's happening, and and from a HR and a business solutions perspective. So, we we run a tool called the Rural Jobs Index, um, which is a thing we've done for about fifteen years, and it's it's literally a count of every job that goes up across the internet that's agri related, um, and we will be able to split that out into then industry group location, production, uh, you know, where, they're, where they are. Um, and, and originally that was paper and internet. The last 10 years that's been by, by our internet. Um, and, and in December, we saw 7,000 adverts per month based in the agribusiness sector, um, whereas the previous highest would counted was in 2008, which was around 5,000. Um, so, so what we saw was a significant, and, and we can then measure year on year and how that all sort of correlates, but... Um, so December and January were record-breaking years for us from a count perspective for about 16 years. So that's not even sort of, and everyone sort of tells you it's busy, but we've sort of got anecdotal evidence around that. Seek, Seek broke um, their record for most jobs ever advertised in March. Um, so Seek's been around for about 22 years, most jobs ever on their board. Um, but that also correlates to the least amount of applicants applying for those jobs. So a lot of people are advertising, not many people are actually applying and, and that's from a broader sector seeing it, but we've sort of seen it probably for the last five or six months. Yeah, right. So it's been pretty busy, you can say, for the agribusiness industry. When I was oh, yeah. When I was over in London, I would be applying for a job and there'd be a thousand or two thousand people going for that same job. So you didn't really get a look in. Yeah, well, look, it depends on the role still in the industry. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're looking at it from a production or even from a regional perspective, because we will, you know, we rec- recruit um, Australia-wide. So, you, I mean, you could be doing a job in Narracourt or Emerald and you would have always expected to get a very minimal amount of applicants depending on what the role is. Um, but, you know, I'm sure... So, for example, last year in March or May, I reckon I did a, um, a couple of sort of Melbourne-based roles for obvious reasons during lockdown where we had a couple of guys who had... Wagga or Riverina businesses, but they were advertising, um, and we had four to five hundred applicants per job without it within three or four days. So similar to what you're saying, but now yeah. if we were to do that, you'd probably get maybe forty or fifty, but just a very sort of different quality of candidate coming through as well. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Tony Mayer, the National Farmers Federation, on the news this morning. He was talking about trying to get a plan to open up the borders to let 
travelers in and also those that contribute towards the workforce, improving the labor access there. But before we get down into that, into agribusiness, just can you give us a bit of a background of where you're from, your connection to agribusiness, if there is one, and where it's landed you with Rimfire Resources today? Yeah, um, so I'm originally from Melbourne, um, grown up and born here, um, but family's all from southern Queensland, so out of Warwick, um, all of cattle backgrounds from both sides, so I, I don't have any direct correlation to having grown up on the property, but uh, both sides of my family uh, still, um, we're actually the only end of our family that's out of Queensland, um, so fairly sort of linked with a lot of our family, and my, both my grandparents ran, ran properties until they passed away, but um, personally, not involved from a farming perspective. I uh, went through schooling here and then at university was looking for a job, um, got linked in with Rimfire. Um, and so at the time was doing pure data roles. So it was a university job working full time, but ended up running a lot of data for us around the job index I mentioned before in a salary survey we do. So sort of linked into the recruitment space. Um, and then I worked for Rimfire for about five years out of uni, after uni, went traveling, did the whole thing, um, came back and then went and worked for a business called Michael Page, uh, who are more sort of a, a, a English listed recruitment business that are probably more generalist. Um, and now came back to Rimfire about six years ago. Um, and, and through that have now become uh, one of our senior recruiters in our Melbourne office. So we, we have offices across Australia, but six specific recruiters and, the relation is it's all agribusiness. So a lot of what I've learned has been probably more data-driven and recruitment-driven, um, but then being interacting with a number of industry groups and production areas, which I've got to know quite well and focused on, but um, also then traveling around and learning a lot more as I've gone along around, you know, what the issues are and what the day-to-day -day sort of challenges are from any type of candidate's perspective of getting a job, but also then where are the jobs and how that sort of trended across. So my data being, and, and my, my degree originally was in behavioral science. So it's a lot more around sort of, you know, assisting people with the, how to how to get employed and how to be more employable, but also then, you know, understanding what they're looking for and, you know, being able to actually understand what people are saying to us as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty vital for recruitment to actually know what they are talking about. Did you see, like, as fresh eyes coming into the industry, do you see there was a bit of a, like, steep learning curve to see what the issues are rurally, regionally? Yeah, significantly so. Um, I think a business like Rimfire, we see ourselves as an agribusiness. We don't see ourselves as a recruitment company. And, and I had probably picked up a lot more in my initial time with the business than I realised, especially managing a lot more of our data around how all the different industry groups worked and how all, who all the major players were. Um, and and we, we spend a lot of time at conferences and a lot of time learning and sort of absorbing as much as we can. So, I mean, my job is predominantly listening. So really what you've got to be able to do is take on a lot of information and be comfortable asking questions. And, you know, I don't put my hand up and say that I'm an expert in anything, but I'll understand what people are being able to talk to us about and also being able to understand who to look for that do those roles well, because it's, it's really around listening and understanding what the challenges are that people are saying, but also then you know, uh, through that, you, you, you sort of wear a couple of different hats where whilst you'd be giving people advice on career, you also then naturally become a bit of a counsellor or, a, you know, a bit of a therapy session for people that probably don't, um, you know, that, that share a lot more and, and you've just got to ask the right questions, which is the bit that I've learned is it's more not assuming to actually have to be the, you know, the person who's the smartest one in the room, but it's actually being able to sort of coordinate how to sort of find out the right information. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just dive into like what you're trying to get into, um, into a bit more depth than you would usually when you're trying to base around that recruitment. Exactly right. And it's probably, you know, the bit that we sort of learn is, you know, we spend a lot of time with our clients as well on their properties. So I know how those sites run from a both if they're, you know, it's a grain site, I've, I've walked a number of grain sites or sat in there and spent a day or we've spent, we spend days in cars with sales reps or, you know, we'll, we'll sit and walk through a production sort of, you know, piggery or whatever sort of property it is to understand how the operations work. So it's not necessarily having done it myself, but it's, and, and not be pretending to be an expert in doing it, but it's more knowing after a number of years now of recruiting those roles and speaking to those individuals, what they're talking about, which is probably the bit that to your question originally, what did I struggle with? It was actually the language. Um, yep. And it's actually the acronyms and sort of the, you know, the different sort of what on earth does that mean? Um, which I've now sort of got past that very well for a fair few years, I'd say I've got past that, but it's, that's the bit also that I think I've been able to help with is, you know, even if you're off a grain property or even if you're a grain trader versus a meat trader or a hort trader, like you, you actually don't speak the same language at all. Everything they talk about acronyms wise might only be around certain areas. Um, so it's actually myself having to have learned it and sort of uh, accepting and sort of talking to people about how do you get those jobs. It's actually telling them what the issues are going to be because to a degree, I've had to sort of pick up and, and learn that as well by, by my own research or listening as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. We're like predominantly livestock based and then mates or I'm talking to someone about agro on the podcast or just in general. And then I get caught unstuck because like I don't know everything about cropping. And then yeah. like I, I'm meant to ask an educated question about like what's happening within agronomy. Um, but I'm like, I don't always know, but it's good. You shouldn't be deterred by what you don't know. You should just ask the question. This goes for like well, you as well, but like others looking for jobs out there, just ask the question if you don't know. Well, it's the same as our role really is to explore and find out information from anyone as well. So a company who will find us or get us to go find them an individual, I have to be able to go back to them and say, hey, they're doing X, Y, Z and know actually what that is talking about and make sure it is actually relevant. Otherwise, you know, that's that's our entire job. That's our day-to-day is is knowing that that is the right person for a role and it's the right field. So I think I've always been quite, from having from a non-agricultural background, always been very good at understanding the culture and, you know, attitude and talk, communication of someone. The technical elements is the bit that sort of takes a lot longer. But as I said, it's, you know, I've spent a number of time at a lot of conferences and in a lot of rooms where I've probably been the youngest one and, you know, the non-bald one as well in the room um, and sort of just listening and understanding or even over beers, just sort of knowing that I don't have to lead a conversation. You can sort of listen and you, you do pick up a number of, you know, gripes, but you also, yeah. uh, you, you do learn a fair bit as well around, right, well, this is actually what that means and where does that actually go? Yeah, yeah. So just being the fly on the wall really helps in those sort of situations. Oh, and not having to be ego-driven. Yeah, like, you know, that's, that's where I think a lot of people go wrong is they they try to sort of speak louder, so they try to push it. And, you know, if you do that, A, you're going to get a lot of people out of line, but also B, you're probably not going to learn. Um, and, and you're probably also, then no one's going to want to have a chat with you again, which is, you know, the idea of our sort of job as well is you want to keep everyone talking to you. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. We'll jump into it and just, can you give us a bit of an update, the current landscape of agribusiness recruitment it's 2021 now, 2020 was a weird year, but just touch on sort of the different levels of entry, mid and maybe C-suite. Yeah. Um, so look, 
we uh, I'd suggest at the moment in terms of what we would decide as a market, how we would describe uh, recruitment markets is often candidate heavy, meaning there's a lot of applicants um, that are applying for jobs. You can find people that are interested because of certain situations or um, client heavy, where there's a lot of businesses that are looking for a lot of people. And, and at the moment, it's significantly client heavy. There's a lot of um, uh, opportunities out there for the right people. And, and that's probably a very good opportunity if you're a candidate to step into new roles or take on new opportunities. Um, but the key bit is probably identifying the right opportunity because there's a lot of people sort of knocking at your door and people are seeing certain areas across the East Coast and West um, as opportunities. So, so from a graduate perspective, graduates, graduates, I feel a lot for the graduates at the moment because um, we've been doing a number of recruitment roles and, and you can see a real split between graduates that are coming off farm or from a non-traditional background Whereas previously with without COVID and with placements, there was a real good opportunity for people who were maybe coming out of a city environment to go off and, and work on a number of properties. And that was really restricted in 2020. So the graduate pool at the moment is quite an interesting pool of um, a real mixture of talent. So having said that, what's also happening is a number of people are, or most companies are very happy to hire. So what's happens is if there's a drought of candidates at a higher or mid-suite level, they will naturally look to introduce a graduate for a very good attitude graduate or a very sort of keen, open um, person. And, and that's definitely the case at the moment where a lot of businesses we're speaking to are sort of highlighting if they see a good graduate, if there's a good bloke that sort of comes across or girl that comes across, send them their way without sort of any hesitation and, and they'll have a chat to them. And whereas two years ago, that would have been impossible. Where So for example, um, here in Melbourne, we do a fair bit of work with the grain trading businesses. And um, I remember speaking to a guy at one of the conferences three or four years ago who approached me about a job within a trading environment. That's what he wanted to get. Um, we only got him a role there six months ago and he was a graduate from probably two years ago. So, having, but now if he was to be looking for a job, there's probably four or five very similar sort of entry level roles. Um, Mid-tier, again, it's, it's actually, COVID's changed a lot around a working environment too. So working environment from a um, production and, a, and also an agri, you know, exporting space is, is really interesting where, you know, previously head offices were probably more coastal or um, centrally bound around sort of certain locations. Now, uh, 2020 has seen a, a number of people probably find that they can do their roles re, uh, remotely. Um, the challenge from that, though, is uh, will they be able to get another job that fits those terms? So, so what's been, what we've found with a few jobs are recruiting is a lot of candidates have now got a lot higher checklist that needs to fit for them, which is fine. But that also assumes the roles that they're, they're going yeah. for allow yeah. for those areas, which is the real sort of um, blend that's not occurring. Um, so whether that changes, it'll wait and see situation, but um, that's challenging. Um, and, and at a C-suite level, look, there's some really big moves that are being made at the moment. I mean, um, there's a new CEO of Ausveg announced the other day. There's some, and, and the new sort of uh, corporate investment that's sort of coming through at a, a, a quite an interesting level across um, horticulture specifically um, and a few other sort of bigger areas, especially from a, a conversation perspective where I think agribusiness has become the flavor of the month again for the last sort of, you know, six or seven months. It's been good news stories. So you've seen a lot of voices that are at the top end of the industry being heard and, and, and asked for, um, you know, so anyone from a government group or an advocacy group is having an opportunity to be able to be heard, which is fantastic. But what that's also doing is, um, you know, spreading out a bit of knowledge across that sort of senior suite and seeing a lot of people seeing agribusiness as a real 
um, area of um, you know want they they want to be working here and and, and I, I noticed the trend probably in October last year where a lot of people were knowing that food production businesses and a, a lot of uh, food manufacturing and processing businesses were still working so that was to them a really interesting area to get into from broader industry groups um, there's a challenge for businesses bringing in people like that but it's you know that's probably a trend I haven't seen for about five years where candidates are actively trying to get into the industry because they see it as a more secure workplace um, and which which is which is very positive yeah well I think like as a recap on your last 18 months to nearly two years it's been pretty positive for the agribusiness industry with more well the lack of labor currently for the entry level um, graduate positions for yourself so you've been quite busy on that front trying to build those roles up something like came across on your website was interesting that online jobs rose 12 percent in 2020 that's a pretty cool fact to know like that's within agribusiness right that, that's correct yeah within the sector yeah so like what so, are those roles well it's, it's a really good question so what's probably happening 2020s it's probably tough to reflect on exactly what that is but it's predominantly production um so it's predominantly production on farm rolls which we're probably seeing as a the major sort of uptick which probably hasn't happened for two years so probably what happened through most of the drought period and you know the different challenges that even sort of the dairy or some of the other properties happened was they were all shrinking and restricting so it was either family members or being sold off into a bigger model so there was less on-farm production roles um, if there were sort of still a team or somebody was to leave you wouldn't backfill or you wouldn't put somebody in versus as soon as there's an uptick in production capacity or input levels you suddenly need that next head count so you will replace someone or you will put on a new head um, the other the other bit of that too is you're probably not also getting approached by as many people so you know pre-2020 you're probably getting a lot of international or backpackers sort of approaching and offering um, work because they're trying to get something out of that as well whereas there was a definite sort of drop off from that but um yeah, I mean, look, even year on year, I think in October last year, there was something like from October 2020 to October 2019, it was a 70% in, increase in agricultural jobs across the, the websites. So that's a 70% uptick in 12 months of what was being recruited, which to your question before around even a graduate level, like that's where if you're a graduate coming out of October 2019 to 2020, that's 70% more roles that are being advertised um, as entry points into the, or just as a, as a, as a number like it's a quite a significant sort of difference and there's I, I do feel that even last year there was a definite change in attitude and positivity around a lot of people around um, you know both how they were going financially but also what that often means is people will bring on they'll want to have people in, involved in that environment they'll want to be in a team or bring on new members to sort of mentor them into roles um, and especially domestically owned businesses, that was a big tick up is as soon as there's a, an opportunity, um, so some of the domestically owned grain guys, they, they put on a number of heads where, you know, they had struggled for probably 18 months or two years and, and, and not struggled in the sense of financially, but struggled to justify bringing on somebody into those roles. Whereas if there's a clearly strong harvest and a clearly strong sort of output, they'll, you know, reward that with a lot of jobs and, and that naturally spreads a fair bit of, you know, positive vibes. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think like online jobs within agriculture is a pretty cool thing to look at for like the other skills within uh, other industries, say retail, um, well, food supply chain, or someone like outside the industry looking in. You don't actually have to be working on farm picking potatoes 
as everyone sort of thinks. Do you, do you see that sort of same sort of stigma for people oh, in the industry? Oh, 100%. Like I have mates who I've sort of know here from a recruitment perspective that assume that I, all I do is hire potato um, pickers or, you know, just dairy hands and like, yeah. or gardeners. I'm pretty sure somebody thought I was just one of gym mowers, uh, one of the gym groups, gym groups hires when I said a couple of years ago that I only do ag. But yeah, look, it's, it's very much, um, it's interesting even from like, say a broader skill set like IT. You know, you've got to be, it's what's, what's fascinating with some businesses, you probably wouldn't realize how big their back end is, but those are broader roles, which you still need someone who's very good at that job, but they still need to be able to have an affinity to understanding, which is often the challenge that we find of recruiting those roles. So for example, accountants or anyone that you're sort of chasing money, they need to be able to understand what that farm is actually going through before picking up that phone and maybe chasing credit or chasing something like that. And if you do it poorly, then that affects the entire business. So even though that person might not be, you know, grower facing or, you know, on the road, it's, it's a big challenge. And, and even then into say your IT systems or um, marketing, like there's some fantastic sort of agri marketing groups that are in sort of um, the major towns, but they'll, they'll also know how to specifically talk to the clientele versus if you get a, you know, a marketer on internally that's come out of say just country road or something more generalist, they're really probably going to know what the pictures should look like, but they're not really going to know what the messaging should look like too, which is the challenge when you're recruiting those roles is who do you bring into your business? Cause everybody represents that brand. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose you come across that challenge every day, but I think that's the exciting thing is to bring some new skills in. You can't change an industry without new skills. Oh, and even perspectives. Um, yeah. I think even just viewpoints, like the viewpoints is a big one too, where, <laughs> You know, that's even depends on your business. It could be a family-owned business. You've got to be able to be challenged on no matter what you're doing. And, and that's as simple as, you know, it could be some a young person coming back from uni and having learned some new skills around a inputs or production. You've got to be, every business has got to be challenged and it doesn't hurt to be challenged. Yeah, I hope, da- I hope dad's listening to that sentence. <laughs> you can send yeah. him, I'll send him a where you want, mate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think challenging, like what you're doing, where like do you see us as very traditional still as we're not being challenged with just doing like our own thing um i I don't think so i I think it depends i mean look individual sort of farming groups and everything like that potentially um but also then it can be also where you are regionally um like so for example if, if you're sort of you know isolated and you're doing a pretty good operation why would you change is probably the argument um so if you're doing quite well and you're at the top end great but you naturally also then, you know, I, I think a, I think of, say, for example, a really great one that I remember hearing about someone having to change or influence change um, is, for example, the cotton space, where the cotton, obviously, and, and by no means am I an expert in this space, but, you know, the cotton sort of industry, I remember being at one of the conferences and they were talking about how the change on farm was actually being influenced by the end user being um, the... Uh, the purchases so the cotton on group and a few of the others who are actually buying australian sort of weaved cotton they were then saying well we're not going to buy it unless you're farmed in xyz way and and that influence then goes back to a farm level so um that farmer might not actually want to change or not think that their water usage is inappropriate but it's being influenced by the industry groups and so that sort of change i think is always um interesting how that influence happens um and it's the same sort of across other broader areas where you know even um some businesses that probably don't need to change, but then are having an opportunity to review what their processes are 
And uh, if they're happy with them, then that's fine. So live export's a perfect example of like Alec and a few of the other things that have been set up around that. Personally, I don't think there's been really any sort of challenges or issues that have arisen big picture. Um, and, and I think that that's the bit where if you've got greater oversight, that doesn't necessarily imply you need to change for the sake of it, but it does also give you an opportunity to reflect on, you know, is that the right processes and is that best practice as well, which um, I, I think whilst it's a traditional industry we work in, that doesn't mean it's not best practice. Yeah, well, I think as a, as a whole, Australian agriculture is quite quite on the front foot compared to other industries, and we'd like to keep it that way as well. With our standard, a level of standards is always there. I feel, um, but oh, it yeah. probably comes back to challenging what you. If your opinion wins, then it's probably like the traditional opinion. Then it probably is the best way. Um, but as long as you are challenging it. Oh, and I think also like you know what are you challenging as well is there a yeah. reason to challenge it like it's it's a you know if you're looking even at sort of we've done a fair bit of work in the machinery space and and even in sort of like on an on-farm machinery perspective if, if you don't challenge some issues around sort of farm safety or or those sort of challenges that arise yeah. and it's not the you know overseas manufacturer or the oem that's sort of pushing it or it could be a you know vff or a, a, a industry group model that pushes that safety no one will change that safety. And and like my, my grandfather literally passed, was killed by a tractor pulling on him. So um, like he was found on farm by my mum under, underneath that. And it was one of those situations of going like, if you don't come in now and say John Deere or one of those guys don't come in and push that safety element, then it doesn't change. So I, I think it's always that, that piece of the puzzle that needs to be of, you know, you do need reflection on inputs or whatever the process is. And it's the same as in from a recruitment perspective of, do you recruit the normal traditional person into this role? You know, the, the old school way of normally being, you know, I might know someone's brother or I might know someone's the local business that'll get me a job. That's who will hire is that person versus somebody coming from a different background. And I think it's always healthy for a business to be considering those other point of views because it, 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 it can only help. Yeah. Do you, do you see that like change can only happen from the top or is it like uh, the entry level sort of the middle can influence what, we're doing and where we're going yeah look it's a it's a really good question I, I think the voices aren't being ignored and there's some really interesting dialogues that's being influenced um at industry levels by sort of younger groups so you know um future farm federation or a couple of the other sort of guys that i i, I sort of naturally we meet a lot of these through people through um interviewing at a graduate level so one of our programs we do is we go to all the universities and give them a course on how do you write a CV or how do you network or how do you develop networks? And, you know, through that, we meet a lot of the industry leaders that are coming out of these courses and I naturally follow them. And there's those voices, I think, are naturally going to work their way into roles that are then mid-tier roles or senior roles within quite large businesses um, and will naturally influence that change. Um, the other bit that I think does help is, you know, um, strong leaders that are also open to listening. Um, which yeah. is the other core bit too. It's like, you've got to have, you know, even if it's you're the head of an agri fund or um, you're in, in a group management role, you, you might not necessarily yourself come from a diverse background. And, and obviously that would be better from a scenario for some people. My, my perspective of that is you've actually just got to be able to listen. Um, and as long as you can listen and have a, a, an affinity to understand what the challenge is, then, you know, surely that's also has a benefit to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, extends down to on farm level for family farms um like 
the the parents sort of need to listen or like whoever's managing that 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 role that farm as oh, well completely and i think of say some horticultural operations where you know they're quite large groups and that they might be sort of multicultural or diverse groups that are running those properties but those individuals have actually naturally picked up a fairly important skill set and a fairly sort of natural sort of intelligence from working the property that you need to be able to listen to. So if you're suggesting, oh, I know how to do this because I've sort of sat back and done it for 50 or 60 years, you're, you're missing an opportunity. So you, you might not necessarily have to, again, coming back to that point, you might not necessarily have to take it on board. But if you're not listening, then you're really missing out on, you know, what the trends are. And those trends are often there for a reason. Like it's not just happening for the sake of it. And I do think ag's still, still quite traditional on the, you know, sense of, they won't sort of change for the sake of it, but um, or, or there won't be flavors of the month that come through necessarily. But um, so that if it's a trend, there's a trend for a reason. Yeah, hundred percent. The key message is just to listen out. Whether it doesn't matter if you're entry, middle, or C-suite, um, it's really important to grow your agri business. And that that leads me into trying to see like what's your most dominant role that comes across your desk or your colleagues' desk. What's like the most the one that um, everyone's shouting out for? Oh, that they're shouting out for? Um, oh, look, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, so personally, I, I do a fair bit of recruitment in the grain, the grain space um, and, and even the commodity trading space. That's probably the area that I, I do a significant amount from a networking perspective. Um, I, I think the, the trend is... Um, I've seen was probably three years ago was trading. People really wanted trading it. Wolf of Wall Street sort of mentality of, you know, this is what we're going to get up to. We're going to enjoy it. Everyone at sort of different bars in Richmond sort of, you know, living the life. But um, uh, what's probably changed now is investment groups and corporate ag investment funds um, and, and probably into the um, business analyst type roles is, is probably a big one that we would see. A C-suite level obviously is always quite popular and people want those sort of level roles. But if you're looking at a more of an intermediary sort of level, I think the business intelligence and business tools roles are, are quite fascinating. And um, even looking at a couple of the, the roles that we've recruited across, say, the Precision Ag um, and those sort of implements into some corporate groups have been a um, been very popular. And, and, and you get a number of interest from broader groups, but also internally as well with people wanting to join some of those bigger funds or or being involved in in how they're sort of managing and, and pushing those roles. So um, a lot of those guys are, or, or girls are also coming from, you know, ex-farming backgrounds that have gone through, say, a, a university background of then maybe worked on farm or or regionally and, and have gone and worked sort of involved in, say, you know, could be horticulture, it could be an AACO, it could be anyone sort of through those sort of regions where they've gone and worked on those properties and understand how they work from a production level and um, through their degrees have sort of stepped into more head office roles and that those roles are, are quite interesting. And, and, and I'd also probably say that sometimes it's not necessarily the role. It also can sometimes be the company. Some companies are, you know, quite popular in, in certain groups of candidates that see them as being quite forward thinking or um, quite sort of progressive around what they're doing. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. We've um, like the light shone on these, like the companies that are doing really well. Um, yeah. And if they're putting the time and resources into their employees, that's going to actually influence others looking in for sure. Oh, 100%. Perfect example of that is say the NAB or elders. NAB and elders have always had a sensational sort of development program and from a graduate pool through an internal development program that they've, um, NAB still does that and a few of the others have sort of tried to copy that. But that sort of program over 20 years has been quite successful of sort of generating a, 
you know, year on year sort of people coming through and, and naturally you then sort of hear about what those people are doing and, you know, in grains that used to be AWB um, and, and Cargill sort of programs, those have all sort of again changed, but um, and AA Co has got a great, great one sort of up north. So, so it's all sort of, again, industry specific of where they do it. No one probably has the ideal program, but it's really around the, the best advocate for any recruitment program is um, the individual that's done it. And, and, and it's even the same as if you're running your own property. You know, if you've had a good uni group that's come out there and worked a season or, or worked as a, you know, a year or two that have come out of that uni group, they're naturally going to be the ones that are actually advertising that your property for you when they're back, um, you know, in that cohort or having a chat going, you know, who runs a really good operation, you should go and work for XYZ. That's they're, they're the natural sort of advertising pool for you. Yeah, 100%. Agriculture does love good word of mouth and it travels oh. quite fast when it's positive. Oh, it's, and probably even faster when it goes yeah. negatively as well. No, I was just about to say that. <laughs> um, so for agribusinesses, you deal with them every day, every week, every month. What's, what's like something that they can improve their processes on recruiting? Say down to the family farm level, just start with that because that's quite prominent, a big area. Um, I see like on farm here at home and then not like staying forever. We're looking for someone that actually knows what they're doing. Um, and I imagine a lot of other farmers are in the same sort of boat. How, how can we try get on top of that? Um, yeah, significant. Well, it's more than, I think it's, it's, it's sort of a twofold of better understanding what your expectations are to actually get to an achievable level um, versus what's the actual outcome you want that you can probably realistically find someone to do. So, so that's the bit I think where everybody has a list of, and, and this is the advice to um, most roles we even get is there's a list of 10, you know, love to, need to, need to, need to, but what's the five or six that you actually can't live without and find somebody that's an option from there and then work out what your systems and processes are on farm to be able to get somebody on board. And so um, it's the same as, you know, it could be training manuals, it could be sort of a system sort of input, um, but also then, you know, the challenge, you've also kind of got to accept that people will move out of those roles. So there will be a transient sort of period where you've probably only got someone for 18 months to two years. And I think the worst attitude you can have is, well, why would we train them if they're going to go somewhere else? Well, because you're going to get a good 18 months or, you know, 12 months post that six months training period when they're on property or in the area to be able to assist you with. Um, and, and again, you naturally have a bit of a rotating sort of policies. So, so my advice often is um, identify what, what's the must haves and then work out how you can slowly work to, you know, train people on those when they do come on board. And, you know, it's not going to be a perfect system, but it might be the fourth or fifth time that you've learned and actually taken on board. We're talking about learning or listening before, you know, do, do exit interviews and have conversations with pe people that have worked on your property around what works or what doesn't work or what's the challenges that they faced. Um, because I think that no matter the business, often the business is ignorant to what the actual feedback is on them. Um, everybody wants to hear the rosy sort of story. And even if it is, no matter the farming operation, I think everyone can probably learn and listen more because there's been gripes, I'm sure. So you don't have to fix those gripes, but if you can be aware of what that is, that can actually maybe help quicken the next process. Um, in terms of attraction um, or candidate attraction, Unfortunately, that's just going to be the way it is. There's no silver bullet to that. I'd, I'd even tell you as a recruitment agency, it's my job to find people. And, and I'd tell you now, there's no silver bullet to any of these roles. It's 
it, it is what it is. I often describe sort of in the recruitment space, what we do is we're sort of like a car salesman, but the car can choose if they go home with you or not. Yeah. So it can be the most worst, the most frustrating process where you could have sold X, Y, Z on this car, but that car turns around and says, actually, so-and-so around the corner is going to pay 10 grand for me more, or, or I want to go here because there's a better sort of parking spot. So like, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's people. Um, so you kind of also then need to work out a plan around, well, what is the attraction method or what are you going to be able to offer that can sort of maybe put you better ahead of the property next door or the area. And that might be some really good operations I've seen sort of up north where, you know, they've invested or sort of helped upgrade some like town motels or town accommodation because that actually then does get people more interested in moving to the area. Yeah. Um, if you sort of put your hand up and go, well, no one's going to move here. Well, that'll be the case. It'll, you know, it'll evolve that way. Um, versus if you've got something that actually can be, clearly sort of advertised that that's always a pretty good way. And, and look, my, my scope of it is um, get uni kids on board and get the younger sort of generation on board because they're going to want to learn. And if you can be patient enough to actually give them, they'll also give you that work ethic as well, because they're trying to get something out of it as well. Um, it could be a career sort of, you know, person on property that you might come across that mystically pops up and they're the ideal person. Great. But realistically where that candidate pool always going to be generated from is going to be a university or at a, a younger level because they're going to be wanting and thirsty for that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head, managing expectations, what you want, and probably also what the employee, potential employee wants further down the track. On the podcast, I've done a lot of like, how should we plan for tax? How we, you should already have your papers ready to go get a bank loan, but we should probably actually think as farmers and also like the other bigger agribusinesses, what is our recruitment process? and like initialize that so we know what the expectations are before we get the people through the door? Oh, it's same advice I'd give to any candidate. Have a resume ready to go from when you've finished school and you're coming out, update that resume and keep it all going. Because if you have to put that together at the hour before you're trying to find a job or you're applying for a job, it's going to be a mess. Versus if you're a company that's actually got a bit of an understanding of where's the learnings being, what can we change these roles, where are our operations going to help us? And you know, that'll naturally help other areas of the, air, the you know, operation being maybe safety or better equipment use and all those other things. Um, but it's about thinking of your people are another asset. So if you're managing all those other assets with that sort of process and that sort of documentation, why would you not be doing the same with, you know, the staff? Yeah, 100%. Well, I think like at the moment, it's a really good time to be entering agriculture uh, with the diverse roles out there and also jumping from sector to sector. You can really learn a fair bit from ag at the moment. And like the money's really good. You're not just picking potatoes or out there all day, every day. You could even start a podcast like I have just to <laughs> diversify what you, what you do to your day-to-day. I wouldn't get to speak to yourself, Brian, if I didn't start this. So the online jobs are really oh, I'm coming sure I would, I'm sure I would have picked up your call if you called in about a job, mate, just to give you a bit of a bit of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but like moving on, what's the biggest challenge you're going to come up against or what you are currently, you think, for the industry at RIMFIRE? Um, I think it's probably twofold in terms of industry versus RIMFIRE. Um, RIMFIRE, our, our challenge will always naturally be um, finding and knowing the right people for roles as those roles evolve is the challenge. Um, and that's your natural recruitment piece is 
you know, you don't want to always be going. And I think that's the the piece of what we have to help educate and, you know, assist people to be able to come into the industry. Because if there's more jobs in the industry, then people are going to have to come in from non-traditional backgrounds. So a lot of our role is, you know, communicating and setting expectations around how that works to make sure it's actually, you know, um, successful. Um, I think, you know, the challenges from a, a broader perspective is going to be technology. Um, and, and technology is a bit of a buzzword, I'm sure, that people can sort of throw around. But simply put, some businesses just won't understand how good some younger generations will be with. I remember a bit of a sidestep, but I remember two or three years ago, I got a job brief down in Tasmania where we got called by a farm and said, hey, look, we want you to find us a IT agronomist. Um, and the agronomist has got to set up all the computer systems and all the systems around um, the vineyard and, and the orchard. And they've got to be, so it's got to be an IT programmer. Um, and I was sort of sitting there going, well, Jesus, that's not going to exist in Tassie. Um, so went down, had a bit of a chat, w- walked around, realized what the actual role was, what they were talking about from a technology was this person was going to be the first person to be able to use an iPad on the property. Um, and they just had to be able to read a metric Jeez. off an iPad. That was the IT. Like that's for, you know, six-year-olds coming through should be able to read anything off an IT. So what we actually were looking for was an agronomist who just was able to use technology. Um, so it's it's about being able, but but again, that technology sort of pull and push around um, what do you need versus what's the sort of the systems, that I think is always going to be quite interesting. Um, and, and I think the smartest person, you, you know, you can prepare yourself for is being able to understand and communicate those tools. So you've got to be able to actually understand. It's great to be able to get all those tools and all those sort of informations and all that data metrics, but can you actually communicate it and explain what it means? Um, and then what does that mean in the supply chain, which I think is really an interesting thing. Like a bit of a passion for myself is, I mentioned before the trading space, but you know, it's being around how that sort of has changed from how those sort of even those trades are done on a systems and how those sort of metrics are done from a, you know, a computer sort of talking to each other in IOT sort of space around how that's evolved. And, and even, you know, as that's evolved, that's not a step that's happened overnight. That's been a five to six year sort of transition that'll probably be 10 to 15 years. Um, and I remember sort of seeing at a conference a couple of years ago and somebody said, what's the biggest issue that, you know, the tractor industry faces? And somebody said, well, it's not drones because drones are, take too much petrol and they're too big. So all they were doing was literally looking at the drone they had seen in an image and said, well, that won't, that won't hurt us um, and moved on. So there's no sort of acknowledgement of where everything's going to go, which I think if you're a candidate or a business trying to prepare yourself is you've just got to be accepting that you're going to have to adapt and, and have those changes. And realistically, it's going to be technology. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose as a shameless plug for Rimfire, this is where you guys come in to communicate these roles. Like that economy role was definitely not, leverage towards IT at all is towards an up and coming graduate that wants to get their hands dirty in that role. Um, oh, and connecting that to... also... Sorry, yeah. sorry, go. No, oh, I was going to say, the lessons even then for a, a family farm, don't overthink what you're actually trying to do because you've also then got to have a viewpoint of who are you hiring. Um, yeah. and, and even if you're sort of running your own operation, think about who are you trying to get for this and have somebody else's perspective um, I mean, we, I, I can't even remember if I recruited that role, to be 100% honest. It, it was more like just sort of, it's a bit of a, um, it, it's literally sometimes just a communication barrier that people just don't have. And it's sometimes even explaining to someone, hey, you know, I, I see a lot of, you know, guys coming off property that have been maybe done their degree and they then go to us and go, well, I want to work in this sort of business, but I, I don't know if I know how to work in a trading house or something like that or, 
you know, I've come back to trading a few times, but even like say, a, you know, markets, you actually do. It's just, it's just, you've got to learn that new skill. And, and that new skill is often just technology based. So the, the, and, and this generation is odds on, you've used that technology at home, you've used a system that might be the skill though that you need to develop. And it's the same fear that anyone else is going to happen that I, I might not have a fear, you know, I might not be able to work a tractor or I might not be able to, you know, how to actually properly sort of, you know, inject something or something like that. Like it's, everybody's got that area they need to develop on. You'd be surprised how easy it is to transition once you actually know what you need to develop on. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it comes down to how you, how you write out your job card. Hopefully we don't have any CEOs rocking up to the farm gate looking for a farmhand role just because they put too much vocab into it. Spot on. And and I remember even one of the, coming back to exactly what your point is there, you're also going to be realistic on the other side of what you're looking for. So you can't be sort of sitting there and going, I remember, so for most graduates we ask, or final uni students, we ask them, you know, what do you want to do? And and a lot of them always sort of get a little bit sort of um, gun shy around sort of actually telling us because, oh, sorry, a lot of them get gun shy because the bloke sitting next to them will have the plan worked out. I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do this and this. But the issue for a lot of that is, so I remember one person once said to me, I'm going to be the CEO, I'm going to be the head of MLA one year. Um, and, and, it, and it really just agitated me for some reason because he was so confident and you could see there was three or four people sitting next to him that just sort of were a bit flat because they didn't actually know what they were going to do. Whereas that guy actually, or that individual doesn't have control over being able to do that pathway. You know, he might be the second in charge at MLA and then suddenly they shut down. So your career path then is, you know, all a fictional sort of process. So you've got to be able to sort of be realistic around what's the next step and keeping it sort of targeted of where you might want to end up, but you've also got to be able to work out what you should be learning or doing as the next role. And even if that's coming off property as your first job, what's your next job after that? Or, you know, you might be sort of been running a dairy farm for 15, 20 years, which we often get calls for. And it happened a lot more recently when, you know, people were selling off their dairy, the, the, the family farm. What can you then do next? It's not about assuming you're going to go in and run the, you know, the local bank branch. Well, what are the, what's the next actual step that's realistic? And that's often what, the advice that we actually normally end up actually giving is this is what you should be doing versus don't actually think you're going to go and, you know, start a podcast and be, you know, number one on iTunes overnight. I think we will be soon. <laughs> no, no. I think like to be ambitious, like it's pretty ambitious to start a podcast or whatnot, but you've got to make it achievable. I didn't think I was going to get 30,000 downloads in the first year at all. Um, oh, exactly right. So you've got to have your goals because otherwise if you're sitting there on day two going well i'm not number one what's the point like that's no one gets anywhere from that space and you've got to think about your career and, and your, your your sort of roles and even your time in any business the same way i think yeah if that's the case ladders would only have two steps not 20 yep that's not about i won't steal that actually i might i might i might steal that and put that on my linkedin <laughs> yeah i'm quite proud i just came up with that i haven't heard it if you have heard it you haven't i came up with it yeah. Oh, all good, Ryan. I think we might wrap it up there, mate. We could talk forever. It's nearly an hour of solid value. Thanks for coming on and being so transparent with what you, what you do as a senior recruiter at Rimfire Resources. Uh, it's really good to see like what you're up to. And it is good to see that agribusiness recruitment is very busy at the moment. Just hopefully you can find some bums to fill those seats in agriculture um, from CEO down to the bottom feeders graduates or entry level no no thanks mate i really appreciate the time and uh, i've listened to a number of the episodes and you've been doing a really good job so it's been great to hear sort of the the wider chats that are out there and i think they're really important to have and and hear as well the different opinions that 
always helps sort of, you don't have to change your attitude, but it's always good to take them on board. Yeah, as you would know, like agriculture is so diverse. So one week we're talking about recruitment and next week we'll be up in Northern Territory talking bananas or Queensland. Oh, even the titles of some of your episodes, that's what I was sitting there going, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Let's have, I'll listen to that. Yeah, I, I try to actually put a bit of thought into the titles. Sometimes they sound shit, sometimes they sound good. But... Yeah, it's just whatever is funny in your mind at the time and give it a crack, see if it responds. <laughs> yeah, then I run it and it's not funny at all. Yeah, no, one, no one gets on. <laughs> but very good. How can we keep in contact with yourself or the team at Rimfire Resources, get in touch to see what sort of roles you have or as an agribusiness looking to find someone? Yeah, look, I mean, from a, a business perspective, obviously our, our website's rimfireresources.com.au. We advertise everything we're working on there. And I, I'd, I'd give anyone the feedback that, you know, recruiters are often seen as the, the, the you know, the, the bag men sort of in the corner that you sort of want to go and whisper to and sort of see what you can get sort of on the way out. Um, we see ourselves as consultants within the industry and, and are always up for a chat more even from an advisory perspective. So you might not be looking for a job, but it's more of a broader conversation. And as you sort of can tell from this, I'm more than happy to have a chat and give a two cents on what sort of can help and what, what, what won't help. And if we can help you, then great. If we can't help you, at least it's always a third party to have a chat to and get somebody else's opinion of. So yeah, jump on the website. We also, um, I'm obviously on, on the socials on LinkedIn. Don't go to my other socials, actually go to LinkedIn. Um, that's the more professional one. And uh, more than happy to connect and, and have a chat whenever anyone wants to. Yeah, absolutely. I advise anyone that's looking for a role, get in touch with Rimfire. Well, we saw a few roles there. I applied for some a while ago, but then I moved overseas. So all good. Yeah, I was going to say, was this, was this the point of getting me on to hit me up about why you didn't get I wasn't XYZ. denied, I hope. <laughs> all good. That's all part of the process as it is. But one question I always ask guests before they go is, who would you like to hear on the Funds Vice podcast and why? Um, look, I was thinking about this when you sort of asked it. I, I'd be interested in sort of hearing um, from students that had to go through 2020 studying and how that influenced them and what they think that has actually impacted their vision of their career perspective as well. And, and I think it's a, it'd be an interesting sort of conversation to be able to compare to some of your other chats around people that have started their careers and, you know, made those sort of first steps and how they've sort of gone into it versus hearing about somebody that might have struggled sort of, you know, being at college or not having those sort of experiences they normally would have had um, in their final year or, or finding a step into the space and how they dealt with those sort of challenges. So I think that that perspective would be quite interesting to sort of hear of and, you know, be able to sort of correlate to how everybody else has sort of stepped into the industry. Yeah, I actually have thought about that. Um, my, like I went to college and stayed on there the whole time through uni. That's where you mm. net, get to network. It's not really all about your degree what your marks uh, some are of the best, some of the best advices i've ever heard of so we spent, we attend a number of the trade the number of the career festivals or career fairs i yeah. think they call them um and you know we go through the 17 different sort of industry groups and even sort of spend a fair bit of time down here in melbourne at mark is sort of teaching a couple of sort of classes on things or advising a couple of classes and and that's where you learn and you actually do do a lot of networking as a student like that's where you know if you think of even the icmj and all the other things that sort of happen that's where you actually do get your foot in the door with a lot of networks. And from a recruiter's perspective, the networks is what's going to get you 90. I mean, I'd, assume, I'd hope recruiters would get you a job, but realistically <laughs> you actually get most of your jobs through your network. Um, and we're just the backfield that sort of can step in and help if you can, but your network's the key. And it would be interesting to sort of hear their perspectives of how that, if that, if that wasn't impacted, great. 
Um, I suspect it would have been, um, but also then, you know, even placements or even your experiences in your final year of industry interactions, that would have, that's a vital time in your, your you know, career is that last year and, and how that would have impacted. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's perfect. Just one more to round it out. What's your one piece of farms advice for a candidate looking for an agribusiness, agricultural based role? Um, never ignore your network and always build your network. So always um, reach out and talk to as many people as you can and never be afraid to hit anyone up. I, I think the best candidates or the people that have got the best careers that I've seen develop are people that are naturally networkers. It might be so, it's no one enjoys it. It's daunting. I, I've sat at a number of careers events where I've been, as I said, the youngest or sort of sitting in a corner by myself and not wanting to talk to anyone, but my job is to talk to someone. But if you also are going into those careers fairs, you need to talk to people too. So, you know, even if you've seen somebody on LinkedIn that you sort of think that job looks great, that's what I want, reach out to them and get a coffee. If, if somebody is, no one's that busy, they can't have a coffee for five or 10 minutes and have a chat to you about their job or pick up the phone and have a chat. If they are too busy or they tell you they're too busy, then they're not the person you want to be speaking to or getting mentored from. So I think the best piece of advice is um, always be working on your networks and, and be broadening your scope. And obviously from a selfish plug is always pick up a phone call from a recruiter as well. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're entry level or graduate, they may even buy you the coffee. So oh, you're not losing you, anything. You expect it if it's not. <laughs> Perfect, mate. That's a great way to round out. I was just trying to get you over the hour mark. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. What an episode it was. Thanks to Ryan for taking us through the life of an agribusiness recruiter at Rimfire Resources, based down there in Melbourne, but they are working all across Australia on various different roles. As we move through a bit of a digital phase for agriculture and the uptake of digital and tech within farms and companies, the roles are bound to change. Let us know on Twitter what you find out about finding a role or an employee within Australian agriculture, and we'll see how we can help you out. Make sure that you share this episode with a mate if you've gotten some value out of it, as it really helps us to grow the podcast, which is you for you as a farmer. Until then, keep on farming. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.